Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Um, just one quick thing. I, I mentioned this last week. Uh, for those of you that get our weekly email, um, check your spam because sometimes it goes there. Uh, in next month, so we're going to be wrapping up the, the Gospel of Mark, which we've been walking through most of this year. Next month, we're going to be starting a series that's largely driven by the questions of the members of our church. And um, there's, a, there's a couple ways that you can submit questions that are going to kind of help shape that series. Uh, one is you could use a connection card right in front of you. Um, you can email us. Or on our website, there is a, a form that you can fill out, even anonymously, if you have a question, you're like, I don't know what people would think if I asked this. That's okay. Um, and we would love to hear what those questions are. The, the series is really going to be focused on why we believe what we believe. But so many of us that grown up in the church were like, I think I'm supposed to believe this, but I don't know why. Or I've heard these things about this, but I don't know where that is in the Bible. And so we want to just create space uh, as a church to wrestle with those kind of tough questions or those questions of why we believe what we believe. So I would love to just get flooded with a bunch of those questions. And then what we're going to do is compile them. And um, some of them will be, will be kind of taught on Sunday. Some of them may be answered in blogs or videos or things like that. So, so think about that over this, this next week and, and make sure you submit those. It would be a blessing. Uh, this last week, I saw this, this thing. Uh, some of you have maybe these on your desk, like an inspirational desk calendar. Have you seen those? Where it's like each day you tear off a page and it has like some, you know, Bible verse or chicken soup for the soul quote. Or, or maybe it's just a comic book or something. I don't know what it is. But I saw one this last week, and it was a Bible verse one. And uh, I thought I'd share it. It's uh, from Luke chapter 4, verse 6. It says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. That sounds like a good quote until you realize what the context is of the verse. Does anybody know? Some people are laughing, so they already know. Luke chapter 4, 6, this is Satan tempting Jesus. So this is actually Satan saying this to Jesus, right? Could you imagine? And this is why, this is why as a church, we typically like to just walk through books of the Bible, because it's so easy to grab one verse or th- another verse and, and rip it out of context and say, oh, that's for me. This is definitely not for you, okay, just in case you're wondering. So the, the, the reality is, is you can know lots of Scripture. You can, you, can, you can recall lots of bite-sized verses and really not know anything at all. And so as a church, this is why it's important that we get into God's Word together. So let me encourage you, number one. Read the Bible. Yeah. Read, read big chunks of the Bible. Um, don't feel like you have to get through the Bible in a year or read X amount of verses a day. Like, don't make it a, a to-do list, but read it to know it, to understand who God is and who you are in light of who he is. And so on that note this morning, I would ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pew in front of you. You can take one of those if you don't own one. Um, it says page 871, that's for the Pew Bible, but it's actually 8, 872, um, which is another reason you need to open the Bible for yourself. We could be just messing with you. Uh, so page 872 in the Pew Bible is Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through 44. So if you're with us for the first time, we're, we're, we're methodically walking through the story of Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And we want to know Jesus better. 
We want to know what it means to follow Jesus. And we, know, we want to know what it means when we are inviting others to follow Jesus. And so this has been a great journey for us. We're going to be concluding our walk through Mark next week, um, but not the entire book. We're actually going to be pausing uh, because Mark chapter 13 is the last chapter before the passion begins for Jesus, before he, he deals with suffering and the cross and his death and his resurrection. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to finish through 13, and then we're going to pick it back up um, in Easter season next year and finish it out. So this morning, Jesus has been, uh, he has made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's been attacked on all sides by all sorts of different folks that don't like him. They want him dead. Some of them have been plotting against him for a long time. And so Jesus uh, has been fielding a bunch of questions. If you've been with us the last month, we've been hearing these questions and looking at Jesus' answers to those questions. And this morning, Jesus is going to ask a couple of questions himself. So Mark chapter 12, verse 35, let's read this together. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can be, he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Okay, so two questions Jesus has. The first question is, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? And then Jesus quotes a prophetic psalm where King David was seeing forward to the promised Messiah who would one day come. So that's question number one. And then question number two that Jesus asks is, based on this, if, Jesus, if David is calling him Lord, how can he also be his son? So in, in doing this, in asking these questions and framing this historic uh, prophecy in this way, Jesus is exposing a problem with the teachers of the law and what they know and what they have taught. The teachers of the law have been correct in teaching this passage as a messianic passage, a promise of Jesus coming. But they have been, still have an incomplete view of who the Messiah is. Now, if you're not familiar with the word Messiah, uh, the, another word for the, the word Messiah is Christ. Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. <laughs> Christ is his title. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Um, the, the Christ or the Messiah means anointed one. So it carries with it, this title Messiah carries with it uh, an idea of kingship, an idea of power and authority. For the Jews in that time who were under Roman rule, it would carry with it the promise of freedom of being saved from the oppression that they're currently experiencing. And there's been hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah for hundreds of years. So David lived hundreds of years before Jesus. This is one prophecy of many that talk about the coming Messiah, who he would be. So in David's prophecy, the Messiah would be the son, his son, David's son. What does that mean? He would be a descendant of David. But the confusing thing in here is... Uh, an ancestor would never call a descendant Lord. That, that means some sort of authority that's greater than him. 
And so this is where Jesus points out right in this prophecy that the teachers of the law have taught. They've known, they've, they've exposited many times, but they've never explained. They have an incomplete view of who the Messiah would be. So we know that the Messiah, the, the prophecies speak, that the Messiah is the son of David, an anointed leader, expected to bring an age of peace, of liberty from all oppressions. And the teachers know this. They know the biblical data points, but they're still missing the true, spiritual truths. So what they had right is they had right what the psalmist says, that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And you see at the beginning of, of, of the Gospels, you see genealogies. These are on purpose to show that Jesus descended from David. In his family line was King David. But what they were missing, what the teachers of the law were missing, is that fathers don't call their sons Lord. And I don't know that the teachers of the law had ever wrestled with this fact before. So clearly David was prophesying about the greatness of the Messiah to come. And ultimately, this greatness would be revealed in a son of David, Jesus, who would also show that he is divine. So God, we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, the title Lord, we don't really use that too often in our current culture, do we? Uh, the title Lord, again, denotes like somebody who is an ultimate authority. You could think of it as a, a master uh, uh, over a, or, a, or a boss or a CEO, somebody that has ultimate authority over people underneath him. So it would be a king, uh, 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 somebody who owns a lot of property, and Jesus, we know, he has the pedigree of the Son, but he's demonstrated the power of God. And he's taken on that identity of Lord. We see earlier in Mark, as we've been walking through Mark's gospel, we see Jesus himself taking on the title of Lord. And that's one of the things that was so offensive to this, these same religious teachers in his day. Is they were saying, who is this man that would speak in this way? that would take on this authority in this title. But Jesus didn't just say those things, he backed them up. We saw the miracles that he demonstrated proving his divinity, proving his authority. Yeah. And I thought it's, it's interesting, it's worth pointing out that at this point, Jesus is just days away from dying on the cross. But Mark's gospel has only recorded one other person calling Jesus Lord. Not his, not his disciples, Nobody in, in the culture, you know who called Jesus Lord? The first person, the only person up to this point, was a broken woman. Mark chapter 7, you remember the woman that, that had uh, major health issues. And she, because of those health issues, she was an outcast in society. And she snuck up to Jesus and she touched him because she hoped to be healed. And Jesus healed her. And she called him. She acknowledged his authority and his power. She called him Lord, Lord, Lord. So I thought that was interesting to note that all these people, that have all the biblical data that have seen him at work, nobody's acknowledged his authority. So Jesus, we see him. He is the promised Messiah who came first to bring liberty from sin and peace with God, but then who will one day come again to bring all things under his command. That's why we pray the prayer that we just sung, your kingdom come. So the, the religious leaders, they are right in their teaching of where the Messiah would come from, but they are, their understanding of who Jesus is is incomplete. And you know what? Many people today are making that same mistake. 
Many people today, they, they acknowledge that Jesus was real. If you look at the top 100 most influential people in history, Jesus is on the top of the list on everyone. And not just, these aren't just Christian lists. These are historical lists. Jesus is the most significant historical character in history. Nobody denies that. But what people do deny is his lordship, his authority. They say he was just a man, a good man, who certainly influenced the world for positive things. But he was just a man. But the reality is that so many people that say that very thing, even those that are in the church, if they really knew Jesus, if they really listened to the words of Jesus, if they really walked through the gospel of Mark even with us, then they would know they don't have that choice to say that he was just a really good man. Because when you listen to what he said and you see what he did, his claims of divinity and of lordship are either true or he was insane. Nobody would make that claim before. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity. He puts it this way. He says, many are ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but they don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not said. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is like a poached egg. He's British, so I think they eat poached eggs in Britain. <laughs> or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was either a lunatic, he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So some people boiled down this statement by C.S. Lewis to say Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. And this is why the religious leaders of the day wanted him dead. They wanted him dead. They didn't see him as a, a peace-loving hippie from Southern California, right? They didn't see him as, as uh, some sort of iteration of Gandhi, right? They, they saw him as a threat because he was claiming to have authority that only God has. And in our day, so many people have disregarded the, the truths of Jesus to make Jesus in their own image. So he's on the top of our historical list, but we're going to ignore all the things that he actually said. <laughs> Ridiculous. And so in Jesus' time, the people who knew the most still missed it. They knew the most prophecies. They knew the most scriptures. They're, they, these guys whose lives are oriented around the truths of God still missed the Messiah who was right in front of them. Correct data, incorrect, incomplete interpretation. Now, instead of saying, how could they be so stupid? Because it's easy for us to do it on this side, right? 
This might be a good moment to pause and to ask ourselves a few tough questions. Number one, I asked myself as I was reading this text this last week, could I be in the same place as the teachers of the law? Could I be just like them, knowing the biblical data? Like, I grew up in the church, I've heard all the stories, but having a hard heart toward the spiritual truths of Jesus as Lord. Could I know all the things and still live my life as if they don't exist? And the answer is yes. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to come to church on Sunday, nod to the stories, and not let it affect any aspect of our lives. The other question I asked myself this week is, what kind of Christianity does knowing about Jesus but failing to make him Lord produce? What kind of Christianity will I have in my life if I know about Jesus but I fail to make him Lord of my life? I'll tell you what kind of Christianity that produces. Somebody coined this phrase some years ago, moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic, Jesus was a good moral teacher. Therapeutic, I accept those teachings that make me feel better. Deism, he is God out there somewhere. This is the type of Christianity we see too often in our culture. People that say they're Christian because, it, oh yeah, it's, it's a good way to live. It makes me feel good. And of course there's a God. But Jesus is not Lord of their life. The truths of, of of his word don't affect me in any way. So these are good questions to ask. Are we just like those teachers of the law? All the data, but incorrect, incomplete interpretation in our lives. So what kind of Christianity does knowing about Jesus but failing to make him Lord produce? Well, Jesus is going to give an example using these same teachers of the law. Continuing on in verse 38. It says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayer. These men will be punished most severely. What does this type of person sound like to you? Well, in, in our culture, this sounds like a celebrity, doesn't it? This sounds like somebody who, who, who gets all the attention at the parties, who has a million followers on Instagram or more. I don't know how many is a lot anymore. That, that is popular and famous. But who is Jesus talking about here? He's not talking about an actor or a sports star. He's talking about somebody who teaches God's word. Teaches God's word. The, this was a problem back then. So problem number one is that the, the teachers of the law had correct data but an incomplete understanding. Problem number two is that the peop, these same teachers are using the truths of God for their own gain. For their own gain. They are responsible for teaching the truths of God, but they are using that knowledge that they have and that position that they have for their own glory. This is, they have data without devotion. They can speak the truth, but not live the truth. Their devotion is to themselves. And here we are hundreds of years later, and people are still doing the exact same 
everything. People who are gifted and called and know the scriptures, who, have, who, have, who are able to communicate the scriptures in a beautiful way. They fall prey to the trap that Satan has been using since Jesus' time. Worship me, and all your wildest dreams will come true. Money, fame, power. And so we have now in our culture, in American culture, but in other cultures as well, celebrity pastors. <laughs> we had one in Seattle not too long ago. Celebrity pastors. This last week, there was a viral video. It went viral for the wrong reason. There was a pastor who berated his congregation for not buying him an expensive watch. Actually, it wasn't even that expensive. I mean, it was expensive, but it wasn't that expensive. Definitely more than my watch. He berated them. Somebody recorded it, posted it on the internet. He senses apologized. <laughs> we have celebrity pastors. We have pastors that use their own position for their own gain. And then we have false promises. I'll tell you what. Some of the most disgusting, despicable behavior I have seen by televangelists on TBN and other networks. Jesus talks about these types of people devouring widows' houses. What is he saying? He's taking advantage of the money that they have for their own gain. Oh, maybe you've heard this before. If you give, if you sow into my ministry, then God will give you back a hundred times. And you go, huh, that sounds scriptural, doesn't it? Well, then he must be right. I'll give all of my money to him so that he can have his second private jet. And the irony is that many of those same pastors will use the next story to encourage the giving. We'll share that story in just a moment. And so Jesus makes it really clear. There is no place for this type of behavior among the people of God, especially those who are tasked with teaching the truths of God. So whether you ever were to see hints of this in me, any other pastor in our church or somewhere else, it is despicable to God. And what does Jesus say? These men will be punished most severely. Most severely. So Jesus calls out these, these teachers of law who have all the correct data but an incomplete view. They, they, know, they know the biblical truths, but they lack devotion to the ways of God. They're hogging the glory for themselves. And now we see a contrast in our third little story here. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So here we see someone we see someone who may not know it all, certainly doesn't have it all, but she has the most important thing. She has devotion to God. And again, this, this very verse has been twisted by so many pastors and televangelists 
to, to tell poor folks that they ought to give to their ministry. And that is not what this is about. What is Jesus pointing out? He's pointing out in, in this woman's life, everything she has, she views as devoted to God. She is a living example. You know, I often think about when an NFL player gets fined. There was an NFL player this last week got fined $5 million, right? More than I have made and probably ever will make in my entire life. And they get fined $5 million, and somebody said on the radio, this radio show, you know, that's just a fraction of what he's going to make because he signed a $245 million contract. And I think, can you imagine not being bothered by giving $5 million? <laughs> I mean, he's probably bothered, don't get me wrong, but still. It's not going to affect his life in any way. And so when Jesus sees this contrast of these wealthy people that are giving large sums, but in comparison to what they have, it's nothing. And he sees this widow that is so devoted to God and so trusting of God's provision in her life that she gives beyond what she can even afford to give. You know, if you were with us last week, you heard a, a moving report from Pastor Bob who went to Uganda uh, for almost a month. And he shared about this couple that began to take in orphans. And they have very little means to support these orphans, and so they're stacked up in a room. They have very little food to feed these orphans, but what they have, they give to these orphans. Living example of this type of devotion that takes the, the gospel seriously to demonstrate that in such a way. What a powerful, real-world example of what the widow demonstrated. So in contrast to both the teachers of the law and the many rich people in the temple, this woman viewed her giving as an act of worship, and she gave her all. And isn't that what true worship is supposed to look like? A life that's all in for God? We talked about this before, but worship is not just a, a few songs that we sing on Sunday morning. It is a, a life that is devoted to God. Following Jesus is a heart, soul, mind, and strength kind of commitment. This is what true love, true devotion looks like. So some questions we might ask is what would it look like if we worshiped God with everything that we are, everything that we have? What if we gave God our emotions, our intellect, our giftings, our possessions, and we said, Lord, these you've given them to me, but I give them to you, and say, what would you have me do with them? How can I enhance your glory through what you've given me? And what if, what if the only glory we were seeking to elevate was the glory of God? You know, when we have this picnic on Saturday, we're not attempting to, to market a brand as if our church is some sort of brand, Sunset Community Church. Hey, this is all about this, this cool uh, organization that does these things. We're trying to, to make relational connections so we can introduce people to Jesus. We want God to get the glory in what we do. So this is the type of faith that is pleasing to God, this all-in kind of faith, everything that we have. I am devoted to you, God. Take it. Use it how you will. This type of faith stands out like a lighthouse in the world. And I want to tell you, it stands out in our families too. One of the greatest deterrents to the next generation engaging with the faith is that they don't see the faith in their homes. The same, the same God that is sung about on Sunday has no space Monday through Friday in the homes. 
So the type of faith that is pleasing to God is one that puts devotion over data. We need to know the truths, but more importantly, we need to let them shape our affections. Our passage last week ended with a a theological exchange between a teacher of the law and Jesus, where he answered rightly in this exchange about what was the greatest commandment. And Jesus said to him, based on his response, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And it made me wonder, maybe you did too, that if he knew the truth as Jesus acknowledged, why wasn't he in the kingdom? Why did he say you're, in, you're not in the kingdom or you are in the kingdom? Why did he say you're not far from it? What was that distance that was still keeping him from being a part of what Jesus was doing? Maybe it was because he knew the truth, he knew the greatest command, but he wasn't letting it affect his life. Or worse, maybe he was one of these very corrupt teachers, hiding God's glory so he could instead have his own. The truth is, following Jesus isn't simply about knowing the right stuff or praying one prayer a long time ago. It's about knowing Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, and choosing to make him Lord. And the the truth is, just as the widow gave all she had, Jesus has given all he has, all of himself, for us. Just days after this exchange, Jesus would give up everything he had. All of his privilege is God. He would give it up to suffer and to die on the cross so that the first step of his messiahship would come true, that we might be free from sin, the burden of sin that keeps us from God. Jesus paid the ultimate price for that. He gave it all up. And Jesus, the Messiah, will return one day to finish what he started. That song we sang at the beginning of the service, he's just getting started. That's what it's talking about. Revelation 5, and I'll end with this. Revelation 5 records a song that will be sung on that day that Jesus returns. And it says this. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Jesus is the promised Messiah who came first to bring liberty from sin and to give us peace with God and who will one day come again to bring all things under his control. This is some data to file away. And may it lead for us to devotion that changes our lives today. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, we've heard the stories many of us have. Even those who didn't grow up in the church, they know about Jesus. But their hearts are still far from him. Oh God, would you draw us in? Would you draw us in heart, soul, mind, and strength? to relationship with you.
Father, that all we have and all we are might be devoted to you. That you would be Lord and friend. That you would be Savior and Father. You are Messiah and Abba. Oh, Jesus, this morning, would you soften our hearts? Would you wake us up so that we might not be like the teachers of the law with the right data but no devotion? God, show us what it means to worship you with all that we are. And Jesus, this morning, I pray for those whose hearts are far from you. Maybe today you would say you are near to the kingdom of God, but they know they are not in the kingdom of God. May today be the day that they say yes to you. And if that's you this morning, that's all it takes. It takes a desire to make Jesus Lord, to receive his forgiveness, and begin to follow him in the way that you live your life. And so if you're ready to make that step, I mean, I would love to pray with you after service. God, thank you for this time. As we sing this final song, may we be reminded of your kingdom and what it means to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.